Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Michael Phillips of Herbs and Apples to talk about his experience with holistic orcharding. Michael is known across the country for helping people grow healthy apples and understand healthy virtues of plant medicines. The community orchard movement he helped institute can be found at groworganicapples.com and provides a full immersion into the holistic approach to orcharding. His farm, Lost Nation Orchard, is part of a diversified medicinal herb farm in northern New Hampshire. There, two acres of trees supply local families with many varieties of organic apples and has a cider mill in the planning stages. Michael is the author of the 
Apple Grower, a guide for the organic orchardist and the holistic orchard, and co-author with his wife Nancy for The Herbalist's Way, The Art and Practice of Healing with Plant Medicines. His newest book, Mycorrhizal Planet, How Symbiotic Fungi Work with Fruits to Support Plant Health and Build Soil Fertility, will be available from Chelsea Green in March 2017. Michael was honored by Slow Food USA to receive the Betsy Linden Arc Award for his work promoting healthy ways to grow fruit. Welcome to the show today, Michael. It's great to be here. Connecting from snowy New Hampshire, about 30 miles from the Quebec border. Wow. <laughs> and you've got lots of snow up there right now, right? We're working on our first foot, but we're, we're oh, close. Well, there you go. There you go. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania. I have a degree in civil engineering, and I did that for about 10 months outside of Washington, D.C., uh-huh. when I realized watching the sunrise on Beltway with Beltway traffic surrounding me wasn't my path. Yeah. I didn't know where I was going. But I retired at age 23. Oh, nice. And I stumbled along for a little bit, figured out that heading north into the White Mountains of New Hampshire was a good connection where I became part of a community family taking care of abused children. And that's where I was building post and bean homes and started gardening and planted my very first apple tree. And from there, I just recognized that connection with trees and the soil and and just kept pursuing that and ended up with a farm of my own a little further north and just love learning and sharing and teaching people about how to grow healthy fruit. Yeah. Cool. So tell us about your farm. Well, we have 57 acres. It's on the slopes of the Kilkenny range and it's, it's basically one of those subsistence farms from the late 1800s, and an uh-huh. Irish family originally settled here. Uh-huh. So it was, it was basically abandoned when we got here. The barn had burned down. But for a young couple, Nancy's my wife, walking down the driveway, hearing the babbling brook, looking out across the mountains, and we can see some of the higher mount, peaks in the White Mountains, it was just, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to raise a family. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working on renovating the farmhouse. We, we built a post and bean barn about 20 years ago. I've been planting trees and Nancy maintains all kinds of herb gardens and the combination of growing food for the community, growing medicine for the community, and then teaching people how to do this themselves has been a major part of our living and it's worked out well. Nice. How long have you been on the farm? It's going on about 27 years now. It's, wow. it's amazing how time adds time up. But... Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So in your bio, we talked about the community orchard movement. Can you tell us about that? So we have seen kind of 100 years of fruit being grown in many different places and now more or less coming from the western states, Washington, Oregon, California. Mm-hmm. And there are some advantages to growing on the east side of the Cascade mountain range out there. They don't get a lot of rain, they don't deal with fungal disease, and they don't have the array of insect pests that we have in many other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, as great as it is to see 
fresh apples year-round in that supermarket. We need to grow fruit where we live, and we need to deal with the challenges. You know, you're talking about growing fruit in the desert. Mm -hmm. I'm here in the mountains of New Hampshire, and there's different challenges. There's different pests. There's different diseases, but there's still basic tree truth that if we work with that and we create healthy soil and a healthy tree, we in turn can succeed at growing fruit. And so the idea behind the community orchard movement is, is one, just give people that shot in an arm, you can do this, mm-hmm. and start growing food at whatever scale that you can share with your, your neighbors, with your community. You know, for some people that means growing fruit for the family, and, that, and that's great. For others it means two, three, four, five acres, and you're doing a farmer's market or you have a small farm stand or you're offering fruit shares in connection with the CSA, I'm all about encouraging whatever vision works for where you are and and just letting people know, you know, get those essentials right and this is going to work out for you. And it's going to be a right livelihood in terms of just the satisfaction of mm. introducing people to amazing different apple varieties and stone fruits and mm-hmm. depends where you are. And just really helping people be inspired that, yes, this is a doable thing and we need yeah. to to really get some kind of food security grow, going where we live. Yeah. Wow. I could have said, said those exact same words about Phoenix and meant it. How cool, <laughs> how cool is that? So I can no longer buy a peach out of store. You know, the most, most store-bought peaches, they're kind of crunchy or soggy. And uh, especially now since I've, you know, the desert gold peach is my favorite peach here in the valley. And when I walk up and pick one off of the tree, it falls off in my hand and I take a bite out of it. And the, the taste explodes in my mouth. And, you know, it really sends chills all the way through my body. Have you found that to be the case for you? Oh, absolutely. It's, there's a cost to having this kind of centralized orcharding system that delivers these apples and peaches and what have you throughout the year to the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And, and that cost comes in the form of fruit is often not picked pre-ripe because you have to ship it and you have to get it there in a visually enhancing condition. But that doesn't mean that it's all about taste. And it should be all about taste. And, and that's a huge advantage for any local grower because yeah. only being in the vicinity is, is the way you're going to be able to deliver truly tree-ripe fruit. Yeah. I, I envy you your peaches. That's, that's something I can't quite grow here yet. It might be another 10 more years of climate change before we oh, get there. But yeah, exactly. It's just maybe get, it's coming. It just it gets too cold there for them? <laughs> I keep trying. Yeah. We often see winter go down to 30, 35 below, and that kills oh, peach my trees. Gosh. Yeah. My attempts are all about hoping for that winter where it goes maybe 10, 15 below and I get blossoms the next year and I'll get peach in year two or year three. Yeah, I recognize it's not going to be something we can dependably do yet, but you don't know. Think, things are definitely shifting on yeah. in terms of a longer season and, and yep. what you can grow. Yeah, I, we've seen that here in the, in the desert southwest the last two years. Normally in a winter we'll get two or three well we're going to call i'm going to call it a hard freeze for phoenix where it gets down to the mid 20s um and i know that's probably not a hard freeze for you uh, 
but we haven't seen that the past couple of years. So we've, I've definitely seen a trend toward warming. And, you know, on the downside for us is that there's more pests that we have to deal with. No, the, the pest scene is definitely shifting as yeah. well. So we have the erratic weather, and, and that makes it a little trickier with bloom. You have drought. You have high winds at times. It's it's all just getting trickier, but we just have to get more resilient. And... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So holistic approach to orcharding. That's one of the terms that I read in your bio. What does that mean? So people have have an understanding that organic means no chemicals are being used, no synthetic fertilizers, etc. And organic in that sense is kind of a natural substitute approach to growing fruit from right. what we call conventional, what's developed in the last hundred years. Well, moving beyond that addressing of symptoms, and by symptoms I'm referring to pests and disease in the case of fruit trees, to what makes the system healthy? What, what, what is the immune function of a plant? That's what I mean by holistic. Taking into account the diversity of, of all sorts of plants in the orchard environs, because that brings in beneficial insects, to the fungi that are at the, all around the roots of the tree in the soil that deliver nutrients and deliver immune function as well. Mm -hmm. Making sure all those connections are in place. Now for me, interestingly, my wife, Nancy, is an, an herbalist. So mm -hmm. She works with healing plants for people. And when an herbalist is, is getting trained, it's often the woman, not that it has to be, but she's very excited and she's learning about all these different plants. Yeah. And she comes home and she wants to see how they work. And this is where the Ooh. herbal husband comes into play. Oh, yes. And the herbal husband is, is given remedies for all sorts of conditions he didn't even know he had. That was me. <laughs> right. But in that process, I learned that this isn't about addressing my sore elbow. It's about addressing the way my body heals itself, regenerates mm. tissue. Yeah. And when I started to mesh those ideas with what I knew about organic farming, that's where I really took off in starting to understand about working with the health systems of plants and ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Nice. So for me, let's call me a home orchardist. When I go to plant fruit trees, do you have some general steps that you use in addressing how to plant the tree and how to manage the tree that would make it a holistic approach? Well, one of the first things I like to do is establish the connection with mycorrhizal fungi. Mm. And mycorrhizal fungi are all across this planet. They have association with 95% of the plants on our planet. Uh, it's, it's what I just wrote a, a new book about. But mm -hmm. I learned about this by working with apple trees. And when I plant a tree, whether I dust inoculum or do a root dip, what I'm doing is introducing fungal allies that make it possible for that tree root system to reach more nutrients, to reach them in a balanced fashion. The mycorrhizal fungi also work to outcompete disease organisms in the soil. So you definitely want to get that in place. And often we are going in and planting fruit trees in a, a disturbed setting, whether right. it's been a subdivision where the bulldozer came through or it's been tilled or, or what have you. And the fruit trees are coming from a nursery 
where often the fungal connection isn't in place. So for about 20, 40 cents a tree, this is like the most important thing you can do to get started. Yeah. Wow. And then another piece of it is just thinking like a tree. (laughs) And and, and, And some people don't get this, but when your tree with that one trunk and there's your root system and there's laterals going in different directions, well, you want to be spread out so that you can reach in all the different directions to get those nutrients, to reach moisture, and, mm-hmm. and not have all your roots plunked straight down in the hole. Yeah. And I know that sounds basic and simple, but it's, it's really a beginning point. It's get your consciousness into what is it like to be a tree? Yeah. How, how do I go about this? And I think that's really where the whole notion of the green thumb comes from. Yeah. It's just you get your your consciousness in that place. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I don't think it's a simple place to start because every year I I run a fruit tree program here in in the Phoenix metropolitan area. And every year we distribute two to 4,000 fruit trees. And every year I get pictures from people after all the education that I do where the, and they've stuck a poor little fruit tree out in the middle of a gravel yard where it gets to 120 degrees in the summertime. And they wonder why it's suffering. So what I tell people to do, and I don't say think like a tree, although I might steal that now. What I tell them to do is to go out and stand where you want to plant the tree for a couple of hours and discover for yourself if that's where you would want to live. It, well, one, I just want to acknowledge that it's amazing <laughs> how people can interpret your words and like, yeah. you did what? <laughs> yeah. But secondly... When I answer the question, where would I want to grow if I was a fruit tree? The answer is in a forest edge soil ecosystem, mm-hmm. by which I don't mean you need to be on the edge of a forest literally, but mm-hmm. I mean we want to have similar conditions as is found on the forest edge with respect to the soil food web. And, and what I'm getting into here is, is talking about the balance between fungal biomass and bacterial biomass. So soil food web is, is all about fungi and bacteria that decompose organic matter, and there's protozoa and nematodes that consume those organisms, and that's where minerals, minerals are released, which the plant takes up and grows leaves and grows shoots. And when you get to the edge of the forest, that fungal biomass is about 10 times greater than the bacterial biomass. Ah. And the way we emulate this under a fruit tree uh-huh. is not with a gravel mulch but with woodsy mulch with and and specifically more hardwood type mulches yeah. and also with with other plants because yeah. plants connect with each other and support each other and if you just get your mind to think what's it like on the edge of the forest goldenrod falls over raspberry falls over succession trees come and go some of them fall over they're being decomposed by fungi. The fungi have more to feed on, and that makes more connections for what lives on the edge of the forest. Yeah. And that's, that's a really important piece. Yeah, and what I tell people in planting trees here in the desert is we need a good six-foot diameter and six inches of woody mulch on top of the basin once you plant your tree. So that was a great big acknowledgement for me that I'm telling people to do the right thing. Oh, no, absolutely. That's, that's, that's what I call fungal duff management. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So let's see here. We've got fungal allies. We've got think like a tree. Do you have a third thing for me? <laughs> well, 
when we're talking about plants, uh-huh. plants have for the longest time been able to figure out, so to speak, how to stand up to disease. And they do that by, by principally two different means. One is there is a phytochemical response to the presence of disease, mm-hmm. and, and, and we can enhance that response. This is when I get into talking about holistic sprays. And the other is that just like we are not just one being, but we're actually a community of 100 trillion, there's microbes, bacteria on my eyeballs and in my mouth and my respiratory tract and on my skin. And, and, and as a community, I can ward off pathogens. Similarly, plants have allies on the surface of the leaves and the fruit. And when I work with biology to enhance that, it's a big leg up on the whole disease issue question. Yeah. And, and that's a, you know, I give talks that last a few hours. About <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but this whole holistic thing is, I use a sprayer. For some people, that's a, already like a, a big issue. It's like, well, I would grow fruit trees, but I don't want to spray. And, and I say back to them, the spray is just a tool. It's what you put in there. I don't put in toxins. I right. put in nutrients and biology that help the plant overcome the disease and pest pressures in its place so that we, in turn, can grow fruit and grow not just fruit that looks good, but is really good for us and really yeah. tastes incredible. Yeah. Beautiful. So I'm going to call that piece Build Healthy Soil. Okay. (laughs) So the first one, you said fungal allies. And so let's imagine for a moment that we've got people out there that already have fruit trees in the ground and they didn't add their fungal allies or mycorrhiza into the soil and inoculant. Is there something they can do to... um, you know, address that and actually get fungal allies in the soil? Oh, absolutely. So you can buy fungal inoculum from reputable companies like mycorrhizae.com or bioorganics. Mm-hmm. And these are mixes of usually 9 to 14 species of endo and ectomycorrhizae. That's just types of, of these fungi. And fruit trees, for the most part, affiliate with the endo, the type that penetrate into the roots. And so taking away that mulch and and just scratching in the soil to where you begin to see some roots and putting that spore powder down Mm -hmm. and then putting the mulch back is all it takes to launch things. You know, but an example of a way to think about this is sourdough bread. You always save a little bit of, of the dough so that you can keep that yeast culture going for the next batch. Right. It, it just takes a little pinch to get things going again. So it just takes really a, a tablespoon of spore powder to do the same. In another fashion, I've, I've been to Arizona. I, I know the desert ecosystem somewhat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But in more forested places, you can actually go to a place a healthy forest edge and maybe there's a wild apple tree there or not but when you take some of that soil from around the roots of plants Mm -hmm. you are getting 20 plus species of mycorrhizal fungi in that cup or two of soil that you would bring back to your tree Mm -hmm. and just like the spore powder you could put that wild soil around the roots and you'll be introducing mycorrhizal fungi to that ecosystem wow beautifully said beautifully said 
So you mentioned a couple of times holistic sprays. Can you kind of delve into a little bit about what, what you might be putting in there? So the core recipe includes seaweed. So seaweed has, has all kinds of trace minerals, and that's very important for healthy plant metabolism. Mm -hmm. Seaweed also contains cytokinin hormone, which is a flavonoid, which these are some herbal constituent words I'm using, but that stimulates a certain aspect of, of tree immune function. Then there's also liquid fish, by which I mean fish hydrolysate. It, it hasn't been pasteurized. Mm -hmm. So that contains all sorts of enzymes and amino acids that are good for not just the tree, but for the fungi, both in the soil and that are on the surface of the tree. I also use something that comes from India, the nuts of the azadiracta tree, the neem tree, oh, yes. are pressed and they produce this oil. And this oil has been used for thousands of years in Ayurvedic agriculture and medicine. Yeah. And, and neem oil contains terpenoids, that's another leg of the immune function of the plant. And neem oil contains fatty acids that feeds fungi, that's always a good thing. And neem oil contains another constituent called azadiractins, and these inhibit the molting cycle of insects. So that this is the ability of an insect to go from egg to larva to pupa yeah. to adult. Yeah. So when I spray the trunk of my tree, and there's curly bark there, and some of these fats are absorbed by the tree, and these azadiractins are in that spray, they're absorbed in turn by things like codling moth, which are hiding behind that curly bark. Uh, and it interrupts their development cycle, and you start to have a whole lot less moth pressures. So it, it's, it's not like a pesticide that outright kills, but it locks insects in a juvenile stage and changes their ability to function in that environment. Uh, and then the final thing is the probiotic part of the spray, oh, yeah. and that is either something like compost tea or effective microbes. And effective microbes, it's a collection of, of different facultative organisms that consists of photosynthetic bacteria, lactic acid bacteria, and yeast. And, and this is basically the crowd that makes biological reinforcement possible. Mm -hmm. and, and again, when you have a, a tree that keeps up its microbe coverage, that's a big leg up on diseases. It makes for a much more competitive environment. Yeah. And I think you can you can hear in that, you know, I'm not saying spray this toxin for this symptom. Right. Spray this spray medicine because you're having this problem. You know, the reason we got into all that, mm -hmm. kind of a very simple statement, is that we have to use spray medicines. A, we see pests and disease, but th those pests and disease are running rampant because there is some sort of biological or nutritional deficiency going mm. on for that plant. Right. Right. Wow. Beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you so much. I want to shift a little bit, and this isn't the normal shift. We'll get to that in a little while. Uh, I, I was up in the area of Cornell University maybe a decade or so ago, and I didn't explore it deeply, but I found out that there were at the uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension area, they have a facility that has over 3,500 apples. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, you're talking about Geneva, the Gen Geneva Research Station. Yes, yes. Ha, um, you've been there, I'm sure. 
I have been there once. Yeah, uh, it's quite a trip. Oh, bet. So how did 3,500 apples come about, different varieties of apples come about, and what's the story behind apples? Apples, in this sense, are a lot like us. Mm-hmm. And so when a bee delivers pollen from, let's say, the father tree to the mother tree, and uh-huh. the fruit is set and grows, there's 10 seeds in that apple if it got fully pollinated. Mm-hmm. And each one of those seeds represents a different cross. The, the genes and the chromosomes that make up the genetics of the, the tree that will grow from that seed are different from every other seed. So just like I am different from my brother, you are different from brothers and sisters you have. Right. We, we might be somewhat similar, but, but we're different. And every apple seed, every apple seed ever represents a totally new variety. Now it turns out that when we grow out a seed and that tree fruits, it's on the average of one in 10,000 that humans select because we like it for pies, we like its keeping right. ability, we, we like its crunch, what, whatever attribute we like about it. And so the apple gets named, and some apples have as many as 20 names, but, but it's because they are light. So in the history of things, about the turn of the previous century, there was known to be about 14,000 named varieties of apples. Wow. And... Of those, in the last century, we've kind of really whittled it down. Some have fallen from favor, they've been forgotten, we don't have as many people growing regional fruit cultivars, but also that the breeding programs that have taken place have kind of funneled us in a certain direction, resulting in the very sweet apples we find in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And, and in that sense, they have a very limited genetics. So Geneva has some of the, the old heirlooms Varieties that might have been originally planted as a seed by Johnny Appleseed himself, to modern crosses, to the Kazakhstan apples. That's the region in Asia where apples originated from. Oh, wow. Um, Going back to Kazakhstan, the idea is let's recover some of these lost genetics where Mm -hmm. disease resistance, where pest resistance comes from. And Geneva is one of those holy places where where they're... (laughs) maintaining a lot of, of that seed bank, of that genetic bank of yeah. fruit varieties. Wow. So if you ever get a chance and you're interested in apples, that's the place on the planet to go check out, I think, yes? Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely one. And there's other smaller collections, but Geneva is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Well, I, I think failures have been my specialty. Because <laughs> when you write books, it's like you want to get that out. Don't yeah. do this. Don't do this. Yeah. Back in about the mid-late 90s, researchers down in Georgia looked at kaolin clay, which is a, a native clay. It's the white clay that you would see in porcelain pottery mm-hmm. and Kaopectate is a remedy featuring kale, and so it's it's kind of a ubiquitous clay, and and they refined it so it had very small particle size, and this clay is sprayed in the east as a repellent for certain beetle pest. Mm. It's used it's used in Washington and Oregon, and it, it might have relevance in Arizona 
to prevent overheating of the fruit to prevent sunburn because oh. white reflects the sunlight. Right. Anyway, this clay is applied separately from the holistic sprays because you don't want to stick it on with any kind of oily fats. And when insects crawl through it, it rubs off on them. Mm-hmm. Well, in commercial orcharding, you also learn that there's, there's certain times when you might apply certain foliar nutrients. One of those is, is boron, and it comes in the form of solubor. Right. So when, very first year I'm spraying this clay, I have a tank mixed with solubor, and everything is right. I have some spray left, and I decide to go spray my 20 best trees, the ones that have set the heaviest. Mm. And with the clay, that's good, because more layers is how it works. It's how it, it functions better. Right. But I was forgetting about the boron part. <laughs> And boron is something plants need in a very trace amount, but in excess, it's herbicidal. Right. And the next day, those 20 trees lost all their leaves and lost all their fruit. Uh, so that was, that was a big kick in the plant pants about, yeah. you need, need to pay attention here. And, and it's, it's, just because it's a nutrient doesn't mean it can't be overdone. And it was a good lesson for me. And it took two years for those trees to recover till they fruited again, which is a, is a kind of a a long time to stay after school. Right, <laughs> exactly. I, I eventually came out of it, but, yeah. but that's a good thing for me to pass on. You know, it's, there's a real tenaciousness to growing fruit. I, I see this more so than in, in vegetable growers. It's, you plant a tree, and it's like a lifetime, I'll use the word commitment, but it's also yeah. a real pleasure trip. Yeah. But some years it doesn't go quite right, or this or that happens, but you stick with it. You have this tenacity to say, I'm going to get this right. I, I often think how spring comes around, and at best, I'm going to have 50, 60 springs to get it right, which right. really isn't that many times. But yeah. when you, you look at the whole fascinating journey of what we can do with trees, and, and then it's fall, and you're picking those apples and sharing that fruit, it's it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think just waking up to the microbes. Hmm. And and here I'm talking about the fungi in the soil, but also on the surface of the plant. There was a, a year about five years ago, and it was the tail end of bloom. So everything's very pretty, and dark clouds come overhead, and... For five minutes, golf ball-sized hail lands on my farm, mm-hmm. and it, it takes more than half the leaves off my apple trees plus the forest trees. It, it breaks windows on the backside of our house, yeah. and there are these huge wounds in my tree. So when, when you get into orcharding, one of the disease concerns is from a bacteria that causes fire blight. Oh, so yes. Fire blight is probably something you see out there in the oh, southwest. Oh, yes, it absolutely is. And I knew that because it's a bacterial disease, it's an opportunist. It needs an opening into the vascular system of the tree. Mm-hmm. And, and often that's an open flower. Well, a hail wound is like a major highway into right. the vascular system of the tree. So I had to deal with just getting over the depression of it. But I, I went out that next day and I did my holistic spray with the effective microbes. And I did not lose a tree to fire blight because microbes are the answer. And, yeah. and today when people are dealing with fire blight, you know, for many it's a mystery. It's like, where did this 
what happened? Why did this shoot die? Why is my tree blackening? And and you can do some pruning to attempt to, to remove it, but it, it's a real challenge. It's, it's really important to prevent it from happening in the first place. And commercial growers and organic growers until recently relied on antibiotics as an approach to change the environment, the ecosystem within that flower that opened up and is exposed. Well, when I spray microbes, I create that competitive environment. Right. And one of three things happens. Those microbes consume the pathogen. Those microbes outcompete the pathogen for food resources. Or, and this is so beautiful, they create antimicrobial compounds. <laughs> that is what an antibiotic is yeah. to outmaneuver the pathogen. And it works. It, it, it's so astoundingly simple. Yeah. And it's a solution to something that vexes so many growers. It works. So what drives you? I, I know deep in my heart I'm a tree person, so I just have this <laughs> real feeling for the trees and, and the land and, and the soil and all that. But when I look at my role as a grower, producing fruit for my community, for my family, and, and wanting to grow healthy fruit, one of the things I share in my apple barn when I'm selling fruit in the fall is I have these green men on the wall, and then I make little quote blurbs for them. And one of the green men says something like, so what do spots have to do with healthy apples? And right now what I'm addressing is that notion of perfect aesthetics, that there won't be any right. spots, even benign spots. You know, it's like horror, horror, horror. Yeah, <laughs> But exactly. in truth, in truth, that spot, maybe it's, it's an apple scab, which is a fungal disease in spring. Maybe it's cedar apple rust. Maybe it's sooty blots, which are aesthetic fungi that get on the fruit. In truth, a few spots means that that apple, that tree, faced reality. And yeah. it does so by producing all sorts of phytochemicals to ward off disease. Well, we are a species that evolved eating nuts and wild fruits and the occasional mastodon. And those wild fruits faced reality as well. And those phytochemicals in the fruit are what gave our bodies the oomph to defeat degenerative diseases. Yeah. So I teach people that you see a spot on an apple or two in that bushel, that's good because that tells you that tree was out there and that tree did its thing. We all know the saying, an apple a day will keep the doctor away. That was coined back in the 1860s or so, basically to sell fruit. Yeah. But it's true. You know, an apple grown in a living soil ecosystem has all kinds of goodness that works medicinally for us. But today, the way fruit is grown in conventional IPM orchards, in herbicide strips with all, signs, all sorts of fungicides that medicate the tree and say, you know, those disease pressures, don't worry about it. We're taking care of it. The tree doesn't go through that phytochemical process. Right. And, and maybe the saying today should be, 64 apples a day will keep the doctor away. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's just starting to learn we're all part of this one earth, and this one earth works with fungal connections in the soil, plants that photosynthesize in the sun, and I'm just tapping into that plant wisdom, into that fungal wisdom to help people understand this is how we grow healthy fruit, and we get back to an apple a day will keep the doctor away. Yeah. Beautiful. 
So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book that's been influential for you in this process in your life? You know, it's, it'll be hard to pinpoint me to one book, just, just the same as people will say to me, so what's your favorite apple? <laughs> and I'll say, well, it depends on the moment in the season and, yeah. and all these other things. And I love, I love them all. So my own path, I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania. In fact, my grandparents' farm was right over the hill from where Rodale has the research farm. Oh, where yes. So much good work has been done yeah. for decades. My own path was beginning with the Rodale literature and learning about substitution organics starting to hear more about the soil food web from people like Elaine Ingham. Going back in the past, I, I have enjoyed some great books written in the mid-late 1800s about fruit growing before oh, we got yeah. into chemical agriculture. You know, one in particular to, to try to choose is a difficult thing for me, but there's been so many influences. Yeah. One of the things that has been really helpful for me is connecting with other fruit growers and oh, yes. we actually have a a meeting that takes place every first week of march up in the berkshire mountains of massachusetts mm -hmm. and we're high up there on what used to be a farm of, of all baldwin apple trees which was a great cider apple back in the early 1900s and there's about 30 of us now that meet and just sharing ideas and bouncing around, this is what I did, what did you do, and this is how that worked. And, yeah. and then we all evolved with that. That's been, it's kind of like a, an old-fashioned Grange meeting. Yep. And, and figuring out, this is what we need to do. And, and it's meant a lot to me, and I've shared a lot of those lessons in Apple Grower and Holistic Orchard. But ultimately, my really true, deep-to-my-heart teachers are the trees themselves. Yeah. And, and just... Getting out there each day and, and listening and observing and thinking, how does this influence this? And what are those eggs? I've never seen um, yeah. purpose eggs that look like a barrel. And, you know, in one sense, I might, as a human, go and, and smush them thinking, insects, bad, bad, bad. Right, exactly. I, I, I went on to learn in that case, those were the eggs of the, the minute pirate bug. And what a great predator for <laughs> yes. caterpillar pests. Yeah. And that fascination, that... The, that gift of, of spending time in nature and, and observing, that's really where the best books are written. That's where yeah. you, you get your inspiration yeah, exactly. to share what you've learned. Yeah. So I have many teachers, and yeah. I credit them all for helping me see a way forward. Beautiful. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? This is coming directly from the new book, which is called Mycorrhizal Planet. Uh -huh. And... In that, I explore how the fungi have relevance to gardeners, how the fungi have relevance to orchardists and foresters, to farmers, to landscapers. It, it, it's really a driver of plant health, and it's, it's, it's something that secures our place as living organisms on this planet. And that advice is do fungal things. That means don't disturb the soil. Put that woodsy mulch under the fruit tree. Create that fungal duff. When I spray fatty acids to enhance tree health, I also spray the ground at certain points of the season because I know it enhances fungal health. I, I make compost. I make normal garden compost, which is more bacterial because it heats up, but then I combine it with hardwood wood chips that 
sit for six to 12 months mm-hmm. and become far more fungal. And that's what goes around my apple trees and my berries. But mm. whatever I'm doing, if you, you step back and watch me, you'll realize that guy, he's doing fungal things. <laughs> that's what I need to do more yeah. of, do fungal right. things. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I have to tell you that the last 35 minutes or so of our conversation has done a lot for me to acknowledge that all these things that I've been doing and sharing with people to do around trees, you've, you've just said, yeah, that's the way to do it. So I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for having figured it out and thanking God for you for bringing me this message today. So thank you very much. Well, no, I'm, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing and just inspiring people to work with trees, work with plants is we need more of that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Michael. It's been a treat getting to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to fellow tree people. (laughs) So how can our listeners get a hold of you? I have two websites. Herbsandapples.com is our farm website, and that's where you can read about details about all the books. Then I also have another website that is really intended as a service for fruit growers and that is groworganicapples.com. Mm. And, and there you will find a biological curriculum, an online community of community orchardists bantering back and forth about ideas, uh-huh. to a bookshelf of certain books that I recommend for fruit growers, all sorts of resources, links to companies that basically do fungal things. And it's, it's, it's a work in progress that's been going on for maybe close to a dozen years now uh-huh. and it's it's a great way to not just connect with me but hopefully connect with some growers near you and and, and learn some local insights perfect perfect also you have two books that i just want to do a shout out for the apple grower a guide for the organic orchardist and the holistic orchard both by chelsea green You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash herbs and apples. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience When I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.